Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we're in a series called The Heart of Worship, and with me are three of the guys charged with shaping our Sunday morning worship gathering. In the middle is Don Ball. You're the director of uh, weekend services, and uh, as such, you're in charge of making sure it all comes together. The music, the spoken word, the preaching, the technology all comes together as one unit. But you're not alone in that, um, leading this in musical worship uh, to each of your side. We have Jimmy Savage leading the musical portion of worship for contemporary. On your other side, Mark Loring sits. Uh, we'll be leading the musical worship portion of traditional. Thanks, uh, guys. Uh, the sermon today is actually about personal worship or worshiping God when you're all by yourself. Um, but you guys are in charge with the corporate worship part, the worshiping when we're gathered. So I want to talk with you a little bit about that and what goes into that. Uh, first of all, how would, how would you guys define worship? What is worship? So I actually thought, oh, catches me by surprise. Uh, you have defined it before us pretty well last week, you know, worth-ship, right? It's declaring his worth. Um, I always love to use the definition that worship is our response to God, both personally and then corporately for who he is and what he's done. So it's not just a musical thing, it is very much just a response to God. Yeah, I like that, a responding to God of what we know about God. Anything else, guys? I think anything that connects us to God, either corporately or individually, just could be as simple as walking through the woods or uh, whatever works for you. All right, connecting. Yeah, I think, I think they both said it really well. I think corporately when we're here on Sunday, I think just getting to come and, and worship and, and praise a God that did so much for us. But then there's also like the personal worship. Um, like I love going to the lake uh, and just being out there. That's just to me is worship as well, being in nature and doing stuff. But corporately it's coming together and being able to worship our God that did so much for us. Yeah, I think we all agree worship's not limited to this room, but I want to talk about this room when we're gathered for these 60 minutes or so, sometimes more, sometimes less, but what are you hoping happens in that one hour on Sunday in which we're gathered? Don? Yeah, on Sunday mornings, um, what I hope to happen is that w we all get to come and engage in worship um, and to worship a God that loves us. Um, you know, we put a lot of time and energy into planning, and hopefully what we plan um, helps you engage in worship and, and helps those that are new to learn and to understand um, about the God that we love so much. And we talked a while back about uh, using your spiritual gifts. I think that's very important in worship, whether it's singing in choir, uh, being an usher, or playing in the orchestra. There's so many w different ways that you can share, and it's important that it be excellent and uh, inspiring and transformational. Mm. I think my hope is that I, with being a response, I also hope that in this moment that it's a reminder that we spend this time reminded of God's love for us, that he looks at us and calls us his sons and his daughters. So that when we leave this place, that like the songs that we sing and what we experience, it doesn't just end when we walk out the door, but it actually goes with us into the week. So that's, that's a lot um, to expect from one hour that we would encounter God, that we would use our spiritual gifts, that we would hear from God, and that we would walk out of here with all that going with us throughout the week. So how do you how do, you do that? Um, you guys have given more thought to the gathering than just about anybody else. Um, Mark, let's start with you. When you, I mean, can I say that you have planned worship services 
for decades. Can I say decades, that? Decades, yes. I just did say that. And, and um, so how do, how, do you, how do you do that? When Do you start with a blank page? How, how do you think about how this time works? I just go right to the scripture and the theme of the day, and I, I try to make everything connect in the worship service. It's not always possible, but with the music, make that a way to underlay the scripture and the sermon. Uh, that way, you know, everything is connected. So you find a theme that runs through it, holds it all together. Yep. Anything else? I, uh, I like to spend some time praying over the songs because just as much as worship is, is our response to God, the book of Zephaniah tells us that, that God actually delights over us with singing. So I think just as much as we are lifting up songs to heaven, I believe that he is also singing right back over us. So when I'm planning songs, I like to ideally sit with God and sit with these songs and just pray over what does he want to hear from us and then also what does he want to sing to us. Yeah, I've always loved that image from Zephaniah too. We usually think of us singing, but Zephaniah says God sings over us. What would it be like to leave here having God sung over us? Yeah. Anything else? Uh, I think when it comes to planning, like for me per se, like I love music, but I understand that not everyone is moved by music. And I think when we're planning and thinking through services as well, um, that we're also thinking about readings and creeds and, and storytelling and kind of these other artful moments to help people engage in worship. I think that's kind of the other side of the coin is, you know, not just songs, what are we singing, but what else are we reading and reciting and, and doing together? I think those are important as well. Tell us about what you guys are excited about for the fall. We're going to be shifting things a little bit. Uh, Don, remind us what's going to happen this fall. Yeah, so September 12th, 9 a.m., traditional, 10.30, contemporary. Um, I'm very excited about that. I'm excited about the traditional service uh, coming back at 9 a.m. Uh, with Mark leading that, you know, having the choir back and the orchestra. Just really excited to have that back as well as having a 10.30 contemporary. Jimmy's going to be running that and leading that service. But I think the big thing I'm really excited about is seeing how not, they're not two unique different services, but how they'll share different creeds and liturgy and how they all, they, both services will have these different elements weave through them. So it's not just two drastically different services, but two services that have some similarity that no matter what hour you come to, hopefully you'll get something out of that. And that's what I'm excited the most about. Yeah, a lot of the services will be the same and some elements different. How, what, what are you guys looking forward to? As we move toward kickoff Sunday, what are you looking forward well, to? Well, we're actually rebooting the choir on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock, so please come join us. And uh, Scott already auditioned, la auditioned last service. Uh, <laughs> I did, we, yeah. we need to talk. Okay? Yeah, yeah. We just yeah, need yeah, to talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I appreciate it, though. Yeah. So you're looking for new choir members and orchestra members as we tool up. Uh, how, how about you? How are you feeling about the fall? I'm looking forward to uh, college football in the fall. Uh, <laughs> yeah. appreciate it. No, I, I am. I'm excited. I think it's going to be really beautiful to see these two services come together. And, uh, you know, whatever, whatever we can do to help people take their next steps with Jesus and respond to him and grow to love him more, I, just, I think it's going to be a really great fall. So. Yeah, you guys are really going to help us do that. I appreciate all the thought you've given over years of how this all flows together. The whole idea of the series is to become better worshipers of God. And I wonder if you could each offer a tip, uh, some counsel for how we can become better worshipers, genuine worshipers of God. Um, yeah, I would say uh, one tip that I would, I would give people is, is to be open. 
uh, be open to what God's doing uh, when we're here on Sunday. Um, you know, for me personally, I don't know if I should say this, I don't love every song we do, uh, you know, on a morning. Um, and, and, you know, and, that's, and that might be true for you. So we're not alone in this. And, uh, you know, I also understand that, you know, maybe not every sermon you like, uh, no, no offense, Scott, you know. <laughs> Not saying. I mean, the sermons are good, but but uh, you know, not everything's gonna. You're not gonna like everything, and that's okay. I don't like every sermon that I give. <laughs> Some of them are real misses, but. Uh. But I think that's the reality, though, is acknowledging and being open to that. It's you're not gonna like everything, but God's using that for someone in this room. You know, I think that's the key thing. Is is that you know that song might not be for you or that sermon or that prayer but it's for someone in this room and God's doing something so acknowledging that it's not all about you but the people in this room uh, that you're with I think is key so being opening to what God's doing in this room for someone else yeah that's good think of think of the people around you yeah anything else yeah I, I think um, I mean we're already the best worshipers you we can be I mean God made us to worship. That's part of our DNA. It was part of our creation. So congratulations. We are all the best worshipers we could ever possibly be. Well done. You can't make it any better. Uh, we're really good at glorifying things that we like and that are good. Like case in point, this morning, Starbucks hit it right on the head. Iced vanilla latte because it's unbelievably warm outside, so it had to be iced. And it was perfect. They nailed it, right? We talk about and celebrate things that are good. But a way that we can be better worshiping Jesus is recognizing that we need to celebrate him more than the other things that we celebrate. It's not wrong to celebrate things. When Miggy finally hits his 500th home run, we'll be thrilled about it. It'll be great for, for him, for Detroit baseball, which has been so bad for so long. We'll be thrilled about it. But are we celebrating that kind of stuff more than we celebrate Jesus? Do we make a bigger deal about athletics than we do about our Savior? feel like that's a place that we could really grow. Wow, okay. So don't miss what, what Jimmy's saying here. The human spirit already knows how to celebrate. We already know how to give glory. Are, are we bringing that to what really matters most? Yeah, profound. Anything else? And I think just leaving our stressors at the door as much as you can. Uh, we live in a somewhat chaotic world. and I know it's hard to do that, but uh, just to be present during worship. Yeah, be fully present. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, so I, I, I called this series The Heart of Worship, and admittedly, I ripped the title off from a song by the same name that came out in the 90s. It meant a lot to me, called The Heart of Worship. And uh, Jimmy, you know this song. Can you tell everybody the, the story of how that song came to be? Yeah. So The Heart of Worship was written by uh, a worship pastor and a songwriter named Matt Redmond out of London, England area. And uh, they were going through a season in their church of a lot of growth. And they started doing, like, you know, big lights and big sound. And their pastor wrote a book and started doing book tours. And he and the band from the church started writing songs. And that became a big deal. And uh, they felt like they just kind of lost the heart of what they were doing in worship. It became about this performance or the names on stage. So as a church, they decided to hit the reset button and get back to the reminder in the heart of why they do what they do. So they did no music at all for an extended period of time. I actually don't know how long, but it was a while, I know. And then when they did start introducing things back in, they would recite the lyrics to worship songs, and they would just say them together. And in that time, uh, Matt Redmond says that he was trying to figure out his place as a musician, and uh, music for him was one of his greatest acts of worship. 
And this song was born out of that season of what do we do when the music fades and everything's stripped away? How do we then come to the throne of God and give him praise and worship? And uh, so the very first song that their church did when they introduced music back in was this one, The Heart of Worship. I think about that church, that must have been hard for them because they were, they were really had a lot of momentum cooking. This wasn't out of desperation. They were growing and getting more popular and they had the courage to push pause and reevaluate everything and coming back to the heart of worship. I, I wonder if you um, would play that song for us now. I'd like everyone to hear the lyrics of this and think about the story that you just shared and, uh, and maybe sing that o over us in a way that we can uh, capture that. So if you don't mind, why don't you go to the piano and we'll clear the platform. So I believe the lyrics will be on the screen. We'd love you to just kind of read along, pray over these lyrics, and then at a point, we'll sing it all together.
The series is called The Heart of Worship. When the music fades and all has been stripped away, and I've simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. The goal of this series is to become better worshipers, to better bless the heart of God. And last week, we kicked it off by saying that by definition, at its core, worship is not about us. Worship is God-centered. It's not about us at all. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our style or tastes. It is about God in worship. We gather and we encounter the presence of the living God and we proclaim His glory and His worth and His goodness with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We talked last Sunday about some of the ways worship gets off track, and we posed three self-reflective questions to keep us from worship wanderings. But there's another side of worship I'd like to talk about today, and that is personal or private worship, worshiping God when it's just you, when we're not gathered together. Now, lots of people, I think, understand the corporate side, the importance of coming together with other believers in a gathering like this one to worship but we miss out on the private worship experience with God. Now, we may pray during the week, we may read the Bible, but this practice of adoration and worship uh, fails to become part of our regular daily experience, and that leads to a problem, and that is you and I come into a place like this, and on a really good Sunday, we get pumped up, and we leave with high hopes and high intentions, but those things have a way of fading, don't they? They fade. I think it was Tony Campolo first told a story about a guy that would come into a worship service and he would stand up in a real bold, um, kind of bragging way. He would just pray, fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. He did it in such a way that everyone could see him and he was clearly calling attention to himself. And then every week he'd go out and he would live like dirt. He was uh, selfish and greedy and deceptive, and then he'd come back into worship again, fill me, Jesus, fill me, Jesus, and, and one woman had about all she could take, and the next week he came in, and at that point in the service where he stood up, said, fill me, Jesus, she stood up and said, don't fill him, Jesus, he leaks. <laughs> and here's the, here's the problem, here's the reason that worshiping once a week is not enough, because the truth is, you leak. And the person next to you leaks too. You may walk out of here with strong emotions, a sincere desire to obey, a renewed commitment to God, but those things have a way of just leaking out of us. We, we do not live in the kind of world that sustains that. But imagine that you could become a devoted worshiper of God in your daily life. Um, imagine that you could learn to hold God before your mind in such a way that you became genuinely convinced about his goodness and his competence. Then you will have learned to be an, an everyday worshiper. You will have learned uh, to become an act of worship. And this can happen. It, it has happened before to real people who led real lives. And the writers of Scripture are really clear about this. David said in Psalm 34, 1, uh, David said, I will bless the Lord when? At all times. At all times, his praise shall be what? Continually, continually be in my mouth. Psalm 113.3, from the rising of the sun to its setting. 
from the rising to the setting, all day long, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Hebrews 13, 5, through Christ let us, here's the word again, continually, that's often used in the text about worship, let's continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Earlier today, we sang, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, all the day long. And these words were written by real people in the real world who led real lives, who learned that this really is possible to live as a continual worshiper, to be a personal, private worshiper of God as well as a corporate worshiper. And so in the time that remains, I want to give you three uh, tips, some three suggestions toward becoming a private worshiper, toward worshiping God when you're all by yourself apart from this gathering. And tip number one is this, reflect on an attribute of God. Find a character of God from the scriptures and just ruminate on it throughout the day as an act of worship. Don't rush through it like you do with Instagram in the morning. Reflect on it. More like a love letter. Now, we don't do handwritten letters much in our day, but you can do this with an email. But I remember long ago when I was a student uh, in seminary at Princeton, New Jersey, receiving a letter, a handwritten letter from a woman that I really cared about. She was living in Michigan, and we were doing this long distance separated by 500 miles. In those days, there was no FaceTime call. In those days, uh, phone calls were charged by the minute. Some of you remember that, right? Love was expensive, and I would get these letters. By, by the way, the, the, the woman who wrote me these love letters is now part of this church. And in fact, she's volunteering in the kids' ministry right now. Um, her name is Angie. Um, she's my wife. I should just land that and make, make sure you know that. Um, but in those days, we were just dating, and I would get these letters, right? And I would get a cup of coffee, and I would read them again and again and again. And by the end, I had chunks of these letters memorized. I did not intend to memorize them. I just langered over the words. I savored the words and do that with an attribute, a characteristic of our good God. So here's an example. We'll practice a couple of these. In Colossians 2.3, um, Paul writes about Jesus Christ saying that Christ in whom are held all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus are held all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is wise. He is competent. He is all-knowing. And so what would it be to ruminate on that, to really reflect on that in ways that, that went into me? I want to read to you some words written by Dallas Willard, and he's writing about this aspect of the wisdom that is hidden in Jesus. And he writes, at the literally mundane level, Jesus knew how to transform the molecular structure of water to make it wine. That knowledge also allowed him to take a few pieces of bread and some little fish and feed thousands of people. It can't be surprising that the feeding of the thousands led the crowds to try to force him to be their king. Surely one who could play on the energy time matter equation like that could do anything. Turn gravel into gold and pay off the national debt. He knew how to transform the tissues of the human body from sickness to health and from death to life. 
He knew how to suspend gravity, interrupt weather patterns, and eliminate unfruitful trees without a saw or an axe. He only needed a word. Surely he must be amused at what Nobel Prizes are given for today. In the ethical domain, he brought an understanding of life that has influenced world thought more than anyone else. One of the greatest testimonies to his intelligence is surely that he knew how to enter physical death, actually die, and then live beyond death. He seized death by the throat and defeated it. It was not something imposed by others on him. All these things show, he writes, that Jesus' cognitive and practical mastery of every phase of reality, physical, moral, and spiritual, he is master only because he is maestro. Jesus is Lord can mean little in practice for anyone who has to hesitate before saying Jesus is smart. See, he's not just nice, he's brilliant. He's the smartest man who ever lived. He is now supervising the entire course of world history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. He always has the best information on everything and certainly also on the things that matter most in human life. That's Jesus Christ in whom are held all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I reflect on the genius of God and his wisdom and it just fills my heart. And I tell him how glad I am that there was someone in the universe that smart, that God is the God of all knowledge and I admire that. Now at this point in the worship practice, I do not ask yet, I do not ask yet God for wisdom. This is not where I tell God how foolish I am, though I am, and God knows all about that. At this moment, in this practice, I just bask in his wisdom. I bask in his genius until it sinks in and I come to believe it, and then asking God for his wisdom just becomes the natural thing to do. Let's try another example. Uh, First John has this great line um, where Jesus is giving this message that says, God is light, and in him, what? There's no darkness at all. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. See, sometimes I think about the darkness that's in me and in other people, and I wonder, could God be like that? Could God have a dark side? Could God be like one of those uh, politicians or government leaders or work supervisors you put all this hope in because you see so much light in them and then you're disappointed because you discover that there's darkness in everybody? Could God be like that? Could God be severe or uncompassionate or what if God is distant or impatient with the human race? And then Jesus says, human race, this is the message, God my Father is light, and in him is no darkness, no deceit, no trickery, no arrogance, no coldness, no fine print, no hidden message, just light. And I reflect on that, and it fills me with so much hope, and I say, God, thank you that you are light, and in you there's no darkness, and that I can fully trust you. In your private worship, you just languor, savor over God, and it changes you. All right, tip number two is this. Use nature, God's creation, to lead you into worshiping. It's one of the things great uh, people who, who become great private worshipers of God do. They use nature to lead them to worship the Creator. Uh, Psalm 19.1, let's read this one aloud together. 19.1, everybody. The heavens declare, the, it's not up there? 
Oh, there, okay, you're with me. Let's do it again. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Thank you. And uh, uh, right, all of creation declares God's glory. Paul said to the church of Rome, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. What has been made and is visible shows us what's invisible about God so that people are without excuse. We often cheat ourselves out of a great worship resource that's all around us, and that is immersing ourselves in God's creation and praising him there. Jesus often did this. A lot of you know that when he went to be with the Father, he often went out into creation. He walked up on a mountain. He went out into the wilderness. He walked alongside the Sea of Galilee. I've told you about how walking in the woods became my sanctuary during a tough season. This little strip of woods behind my house, which is where I go uh, to meet with God. My daughter would just get back from summer camp, and she was telling me about the stars. How come at Spring Hill Camp, there are so many more stars than there are in Northville, Michigan? And I said, well, honey, some of that has to do with, uh, you know, smog in cities. That's true. It can block our view of the stars. Uh, there is such a thing as light pollution when you're in a city has a lot of light. But maybe it's also because you, you don't look up at home. We don't look up often enough. And then you look up and you say, wow, how long has that been there? And God, how, how big you must be to have made all that, all these problems going on in the world right now, and all these problems going on in me, those must be so small compared to the creative power of our God. Our nature-loving president, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, I'm told that when he was in a tough meeting at the White House late at night, he would stop the meeting and of all the participants walk outside on the White House lawn and look up. And after a few minutes, he would say, well, gentlemen, now that we have perspective, let's go back inside. There's something perspective-setting when you realize the awesome creative power of God. And tip number three for being a private worshiper, fill your day with brief worship breaks, little moments of praise. So again, we have reflecting on an attribute of God, that was number one, worshiping God in nature and creation, number two, and then uh, as you go throughout your day, this doesn't need to take a lot of time, but uh, fill your day with little worship breaks, intersperse it with intervals and brief times of praise. When you wake up in the morning, let your first thought be, Oh, God, you gave me another day. Uh, I've heard there are two kinds of people. There are those who wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, God. And there are those who wake up and say, Good God, it's morning. You want to be the good morning. God, you've given me this day, and I give it right back to you. Uh, Make your car a sanctuary. Declare your car a place of worship. You turn off the radio, uh, turn off talk radio, no podcasts. Let it be silent sanctuary or crank up the worship music if that helps you. You might want to sing along at the top of your lungs. Uh, maybe not. If you do want to sing along, you know, make sure the car windows are up. Uh, maybe not. Anybody ever been caught singing in a car with your windows down? Yeah. 10,000 reasons to be embarrassed. That's what I... And, Uh, uh, You know, make sure if you pray when you worship, keep your eyes open if you're making your car a sanctuary. You have to make some adaptations to declare your car a place of worship, but it can't be done. 
A lot of you don't spend much time in cars right now. Make your office a sanctuary. Make your desk a sanctuary. Make your home uh, a sanctuary. Uh, you can put something on your desk, a Bible, a cross, a leaf, something from nature. Uh, you can put a little sign up with a, a word like uh, peace just to remind you that God is present with you throughout the day. Praise God when you're with people secretly. See somebody you love and just say, God, you must be a great God to have made someone like that. And just praise God when you see stuff throughout the day. When you get to bed and go to sleep at night, God, thank you, you've been with me all day long. You've been faithful. I worship you. I love you. There's a woman in uh, Luke chapter 2. Her name was Anna. We don't know a lot about Anna. We're told she was a prophet of great age. Uh, It does say that she lived with her husband seven years and that she lived as a widow to the age of 84. But this is the line about Anna I want you to see from Luke 2.37. It says of Anna, she never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Imagine being a day and night worshiper And you can do this because you don't actually have to go to the temple for this. Uh, The Bible says that you are now a temple where the Holy Spirit resides, and so you can worship God anywhere. Your temple comes with you, and you can worship God day and night. So if we each worship God on our own in private worship throughout our day, we should worship God personally when we're separated, then when we come back together, the worship's going to be all the more fantastic. And let's try that and see what happens next Sunday when we gather. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of worship. We confess that we are beginners in knowing how to adequately express ourselves to you. Grow us as worshipers. May our private worship be consistent and rich May our corporate worship be vibrant and real. And in the midst of a hectic, trouble-filled world, help us to be still and to know that you are God. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen.